Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days, the podcast where we talk about the opinions of old people and young people, from fair wages, carbon zero, sheen halls, and everything else in between. Kia ora everybody, welcome back to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days. I'm Holly. Um, unfortunately, in the midst of flu season, Zandy's away today, so you've got the luck of me being your sole host. Um, but exciting news today, we've got on a very special guest. We have Jessica Hammond as the deputy co-leader of the Opportunities Party, or probably more well known as TOP. Now, kia ora, Holly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Jessica Hammond. I'm top candidate for Ohariu and co-deputy leader. This is my third time standing for top and um, yeah, really excited to be here and talk to you back at my old um, digs, Vic Uni. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So could you give us a little bit of a background about yourself, where you're from, why you got into politics as well? Yeah. So I'm, I'm from Wellington. I grew up grew up here with my family. Um, I I went to Vic um, for too long. Um, <laughs> yeah, studying mostly philosophy and a bit of psychology and oh, economics. Nice. Um, my day job is a um, is a public servant. Um, and yeah, I've got two kids and a dog. And um, yeah, I've been involved in top since since the very beginning in 2016. Um, yeah, I suppose because I, um, I guess I'm a, um, what you might call a, a justice sensitive person. Like I, mm. I, I feel like things that can be fixed ought to be fixed yeah. and we ought to go at them with like passion, enthusiasm, optimism, aggression if necessary. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, there are lots of different ways you can do that. But mm. this is one that kind of seems to suit my particular um, interests and in, in, yeah and talents, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely a sentiment that kind of resonates with a lot of young people these days. Is like there are so many things we identify need to be changed. Why are we not just doing those things, right? And I think it's kind of frustrating for a lot of young people to see the system not doing the things that we're asking them to do. So yeah, I think it's yeah, hundred really percent frustration. Frustration, like don't. Yeah, don't. Sorry, this sounds makes me sound like an old lady. Don't <laughs> lose that. <laughs> like yeah, I think that's yeah. a really healthy. It's good to carry through. Yeah, it's a healthy emotion to to keep with you. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. Because that's the only way you can really get change, right? Um. Okay. So I think. I think the main thing, so for people who don't really know what the Opportunities Party is or like what you guys stand for, how would you describe it in three words? Sorry, really putting you on the spot here. Three words. Optimistic. Mm -hmm. Pragmatic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are two good words already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh... I, I, I'm really tempted to say, um, to say smart, but I know we have a bit of a reputation for being like, you know, for, for maybe leaning too much into that. But what I mean is we... Evidence-based policy. Yeah, Yeah. we believe in smarts, not necessarily that we know everything, Mm. but that there are things that are known and we should try and find out what they are and use them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. 
That's good. So, um, so kind of more of as a as a wider overview of what top stands for and what you you know are kind of pushing for. What what do you think separates your party from the ones that we currently have, like Labour, like National, like Greens, like ACT, all of those you know smaller and bigger parties? Where do you kind of sit on that spectrum, and and what kind of makes you different? Yeah, there's a there's a few things. I mean, there's our our approach to um, how we how we come up with policy. So we're mm. very much about um, taking the best evidence and solutions that are from around the world um, and, and from New Zealand and applying them applying them here. Mm. Um, we're not I don't I guess we don't think of ourselves as as ideological and that's what that's what I mean when I say pragmatic. Like yeah. we don't really care who the idea comes from. Uh, if it's a good idea and it's going to work, let's use it. Mm. But I think a, a really big thing that's different about Top is our strategic position in in um, w- within our sort of political environment. So we don't really necessarily fit nicely onto a left right spectrum. Mm, yeah. Um, but where we would sit strategically is is in the centre. Yeah. Uh, and. That's partly because in the centre is where you have bargaining power. Mm. So, you know, New Zealand First in 2017, 2017 was yeah. able to get, you know, $3 billion to do whatever they, they yeah. liked, you know, because they had that bargaining power and were able to be the, the kingmakers, you know. Mm, exactly. But also, I guess we think it's really important that New Zealand has a bit of a, a rudder. Mm. New Zealand First described themselves as a handbrake on on Labour, or they're a handbrake on on yeah. on Parliament. And I guess we'd view ourselves more as like maybe a mixture of an accelerator and a rudder. Yeah, so, I think I think handbrake is interesting terminology. Is like you're you're st- stopping progress from yeah, happening. So it's it kind feels of, like kind a bit of, of a self-own. Yeah, I, I don't really understand why you would want to be that. But what we have at the moment, and what we've had for at least 30 years, is this continual shuffle a little left, shuffle a little right, Mm. but we're not going forwards. And when you don't have that kind of, I guess when actors in society and the economy, so I mean like businesses and local government and just individuals, Mm. don't have any uh, certainty about where the country's going. They don't see a a vision and a clear direction. It's really hard to invest. It's yeah. really hard to make long-term decisions when you know, okay, we're going to have three six, or nine years of all of the different agencies being amalgamated into one. Hmm. And then for the next three, six or nine years, they're all going to be broken up again. Yeah. And we're just going to be going back and forth. And especially with long-term problems like climate change, mm. anything that involves investing in our future we really need some um, some clear direction and stability, and yeah. that's where I think a party in the centre can um, can be really powerful. Yeah, yeah. I think that I've heard you guys be described as like radical centrists, right? Which is kind of like reformist, but also in the centre. Is that is that something that you would probably identify with, or do you think that's you know no, mischaracterising th- you a little? I think that's fair. Like I say, we don't necessarily identify as left, right or centre because yeah. <laughs> we'll take take ideas from um, anywhere. But um, 
I think the idea that being centrist means that you're just watering everything down is is, is something that we would totally yeah. reject. I think that some of your policies have kind of been coming out recently and people are kind of interested to know what they're all about. The biggest thing that I've kind of seen floating around is your teal card. Do you want to give a little spiel about what that's about for people who are unfamiliar with it entirely? Yeah, so most people probably know about the gold card, which is a card for older people to be able to get um, discounts and services and things Mm -hmm. like that. So the teal card is like that for people under 30, but way, way better. Mm. So um, the benefits of the teal card, are, uh, so so first of all, it's um, uh, th- there's a physical card and then there's a digital app and in theory mm. you can put anything anything on it you like. But what we would start with mm. is free public transport for under 30s, mm-hmm. um, fully funded healthcare, so that's like doctor, dentist, eyes, mm. ears, mental health. Yeah. Um, a $1,500 credit for bikes, e-bikes, or micro-mobility, mm-hmm. a $5,000 uh, savings boost, mm. and some um, kind of civic service um, slash civics education kind of um, programs. Oh, cool. Um, I think, like, I was reading up on this, and those are all really great things, and, like, I think that everybody would love to have those things, but the practicality of that, like, I read it's going to cost you, like, about $1.5 billion a year. Don't you think, like, I think for the average person, that seems like a lot of money, right? How do you justify putting that forward for, 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 for the tail card? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's an investment, mm. right? So any time you make an investment, you expect to get something something out of it. And mm. what we expect, I mean, it's for, it's it's for funded and we, we this is this is a practice that we have it's maybe another thing that's a little bit different from some other parties whenever we propose a policy we say how we'll pay for it hmm. um, but yeah so so we 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 know it's affordable but also we know that it has huge benefits hmm. so investing in young people's health for instance saves us saves us down the road yeah, so true. even if you even if you were someone who was you know like a cold-hearted um, economist, not that all economists are cold-hearted, <laughs> cut that if you like, Holly. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but, you know, e- even if you were, you know, you're an accountant, you're an actuary, you're like an insurance person, you would invest in young people if you want to get the best, uh, if you want to do the best, mm. um, just purely, uh, purely on the economics, you would right, invest yeah. in young people. True. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but then also, I think I think you run into this problem, and like I think that it, um, it it's really good that you kind of say how all of your policies are funded, and 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 I've kind of tracked that through, and it all seems pre- pretty legit. But if you can get that kind of money, what would you say to people who would probably say, if you can get that money, why don't you just put that towards things like better, uh, like healthcare services, better education, because those are things that are currently suffering. If we can get more money, why don't we just put those things that can, you know, better the whole of society, like increase, increasing nurses' wages, teachers' wages, getting those kind of essential public services up and running? Yeah, I mean, those are, those are all really valuable things to, to invest in. But I think we, at, at some point, you know, we have to say, I guess we'd say, you know, there are a lot of parties who are promising um I guess tweaks or or, or 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 more substantial changes for the problems we have right now. Mm. But someone has to look at 
what kind of society we want to have in hmm. 30, 40, 50, 100 years' time. Yeah, so so our focus is is investing in young people, investing in people who haven't been born yet yeah. um, so that we can have really a really great foundation for you know, a fair and awesome future for everybody. Yeah, yeah, cool. I think that, that sounds good. Um, in looking where you're funding this from, I do have a question. You're taking $200 million out of the Climate Change Relief, Emergency Relief Fund. Can you tell me a little bit about why you can justify that, given I think that a lot of people are concerned about this climate change relief, especially in the wake of Hawke's Bay, Auckland flooding, all those disasters that seem to be becoming more prominent and possibly we need that money for those things? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we, we are very much in favour in, in our climate resilience um, uh, focus. Our climate policy is not out yet, but you'll see you'll see a big focus on 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 resilient climate infrastructure. So it's not at all about um, thinking those things are, are unimportant. It's just mm. that that fund is underspent and it's and it's right now just sitting there. So let's let's invest it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we have se- we have we have separate policy okay, for okay. investing in climate infrastructure. That's that's really important. Wonderful. Well, I think that kind of leads us on to the next part about what what kind of is your 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 kind of climate change visions. Given that I think that's front of mind for a lot of young people, especially when they're voting um, in this coming um, election. What what are you kind of putting on the table? What things do you support? What do you not support? Um, yeah, in that kind of realm. So our climate policy is going to be released soon. Mm. Um, so I, I can't tell you exactly <laughs> what it okay. is, but I can I can tell you the um, our approach to mm. to climate change, which mm. is that it is you know the the biggest problem coming ahead of us. We need to invest massively in in both mitigation and adaptation, and the um, the mechanism by which we address emissions has to deliver actual net reductions in emissions. Mm. Uh, sorry, gross reductions in, in emissions, not just um, not just offsetting or paying other countries to um, <laughs> to reduce us for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. We need to in New Zealand actually be releasing fewer or less em- emissions. Yeah, yeah. Um so so um more more to come on that, but yeah, one one of sure. the big things we're going to be looking at is the role of forestry in the, the in the um in the in climate change and how we should or should not use that. Okay. Cool, um cool. and then and then on the more um uh, micro level I suppose, you know, things like our uh um, free public transport, mm. the um, subsidy for bikes, e-bikes. You know, tra- transport emissions are a really big part of our emissions profile. So yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of little things we can do, but also just getting that system. And like I said earlier, having really clear signals. I mean, this is one thing that I think is 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 really quite disastrous for for our our progress on climate change is even when we do have something like the emissions trading scheme, the moment the carbon price got high enough that it was starting to affect uh, investment decisions and, you know, the decisions of of businesses and government and local Mm. government around climate, um, 
Labor kind of um, lost their nerve, like backtracked a little. Yeah, yeah, and 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 made decisions with the with the strategic reserve of climate of, of um, carbon credits that crashed the price of it. So they've really just undermined the system that they mm. that they say that they really believe yeah. in. That kind of comes back to what you were saying about you know parties focusing on the next election and not really focusing on future goals. Like, do you think that? that that kind of played a part in those decisions that you think is a problem? hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, this is where that frustration we were talking about mm. really comes in because it's like, it's, it's our future. I mm. mean, you know, yours far more than mine. It's like, it, yeah, you, something that really frustrates me, this is becoming a bit of a theme, is, <laughs> is when politicians say, Look, we're going to do this hard thing, but we can't do it until we have enough seats in Parliament. And then they do get enough seats in Parliament. They're like, we can't do it yet because then we might lose the, lose the seats yeah. we have in Parliament. It's like, when are you going to actually do it? Yeah. Why are you there? Mm. And it just yeah drives me a bit wild. Rubs you a little bit the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So <clears throat> can, I, can I ask you a question? What is your opinion on farmers? I feel like this is such a like divisive thing for so many parties. Are you pro-taxing farmers? Are you anti-taxing farmers? What is the kind of vague top stance on that? Yeah, I mean, anyone in the economy should um, internalise their externalities. <laughs> so, that, so everyone should be paying for the um, the pollution they're producing. They shouldn't be imposing mm-hmm. that on on anybody else. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of um, farmers who already take that really, really seriously. Mm. It's a little bit that thing, you know, like the future's already here. It's just unevenly distributed, you know, that, right. that, that, yeah. that quote. So, you know, we, our general approach is let's reward and celebrate those farmers who are already doing that. And, mm. and those who aren't need to be paying the paying the the costs of the bad stuff they're doing. Yeah, fair enough. I think that with that, um, if you were to, you know, make farmers pay for those, do you think that that massively has cost of living effects on New Zealanders? Like when you increase the cost that it costs a farmer to produce, I don't know, like a litre of milk, that just inevitably like increases the price for the average New Zealander who's probably already struggling? Mm -hmm. What's the kind of response there? Yeah, I mean, the thing is we have to pay those costs one way or another anyway. Mm -hmm. We either pay them in in the cost of the milk itself or we pay them in remediating you know, nitrogen in the in the water, or we, we pay them in the health costs of you know, uh, of of people getting more bowel cancer. Like as a country, we have to we have to pay for this stuff. Like mm. there's there's no there's no question that we need to um, protect and fix our water. There's no question that we have to um, do what we can to mitigate and and adapt to to climate change. We need to protect our soil. We need to protect our biodiversity. So. Either way, we're going to be paying for it. The mm. question is, what is the uh, the least cost, most effective way right. of getting the outcomes we want? Yeah, fair enough. So, a kind of... Um, Following up on, you know, cost of living kind of issues, I know that for a lot of students and people who probably listen to this podcast, housing is definitely a massive issue, right? Like in Wellington, house prices are ridiculous. They just keep going up, right? So what's what's TOPS, you know, plan to kind of tackle those things? Yeah, housing has been 
um, one of our biggest policy priorities since the since the very beginning, and we we know that our our housing um, uh, that that housing in New Zealand is is like it's a it's a disaster socially, mm. and it's also a disaster for our economy because the way our system is set up. Um, it incentivizes everybody who has any money at all to plough it into into housing. Mm. So not only does that drive the cost of housing up, which leads to problems with mm. housing affordability, it also takes money away from investment in in things like businesses, in climate mitigation. It also means that that people like like you guys, who are presumably renters, mm. don't have enough money to buy stuff. Yeah. So that hurts our businesses again as well as hurting your standard of living. Yeah. So for for all sorts of reasons we need to address housing affordability. And is there are essentially not um we should know how to do that. Mm. This is this is one of the many things that that politicians know how to do but they're not necessarily willing to to do the thing that just, they just like they, for political capital reasons. Yeah, there's been there have been so many um, tax working groups, for instance, mm. um, over over decades under both of the main parties, and they all recommend um, changes to the tax system, which at the moment massively rewards and incentivizes overinvestment in housing. Mm, yeah, so rebalancing the tax system is a really important um, priority for us, mm. and and. Our policy is to have a land value tax, hmm. which is a really um, old idea, and it works great. Basically, what it means is you tax the land under residential housing, mm-hmm. and you'd pay the same amount of tax on a um, parcel of land, whether you have one big sprawling family home on it, or whether you have a townhouse or an apartment building. So that incentivizes density basically mm, right. so that incentivizes supply it deals with the problem of land banking where people just sit on residential land that's that's unused or underused mm. so it really promotes um efficient use of land which yeah. helps also helps with climate change because we have you know denser living which is more conducive to walking cycling public transport so a land value tax um solves a lot of problems, and can also fund a lot of other, a lot of, a lot of other cool stuff like universal basic income, for instance. Yeah, yeah, true. I think just on that, like in the short term, as an example, my landlord owns a couple of flats, like um, in like centre of Wellington. If he just suddenly gets taxed on those, and he's not really able to build more, except maybe like upwards, it's not really a feasible thing for one landlord to do. What stops him from just increasing my rent because he has more tax to pay? Yeah, I mean the the evidence is that that doesn't really happen. Mm. Um, so we're not we're not um, super worried about that being being passed on. The evidence is just that it do, it doesn't. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So, and, and you know, it's it's also just it's just something that we have we we have to do it. We have to at some point. Is it kind of more like a long term goal of eventually? 
people will just start using this more of it, like more efficiently, more effectively. Well, it lowers it lowers the cost of yeah. It lowers the cost of housing. So so it it, it also means that you know landlords aren't servicing as 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 much um, in terms of you know their their borrowing costs because the mm. housing becomes um, becomes less expensive. So it you know we need to rebalance this this um, tax system. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things like. I, I do understand why um, particularly the big parties are um, fearful of introducing a new tax, especially mm. because um, people who are wealthier and older also vote in higher numbers. Yeah. But at some point, we, if we actually want to have a functioning economy where mm. people can be housed and can thrive, we have to do some stuff that's a little bit hard. Mm. Um, a couple of like final questions, I guess. Um, if you were to get a seat in Parliament, because you obviously are um, a minor party, you haven't been in Parliament before, so it's probably more likely that you'll that you'll get one or two seats as opposed to a majority, right? I think that on that front, if you were to get a seat in Parliament, um, what would be your main push, like the most feasible thing that you could do, the first bill to pass in Parliament? What would it be for top? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, we yeah we we we. Uh, are going for like the the five percent, but also Rathmanji, who's our, our um, party leader, has an excellent chance of winning winning Islam in Christchurch. And on current polling, we'd probably get three, um, maybe four MPs. Oh. So the way um, the left and right blocks are so finely balanced, there's a really good chance that we could be in a um, in a position to, I guess, effectively decide who gets to. Hmm. Former government, um, so that is is a really strong bargaining position. Yeah. So um, yeah, we would have to see exactly how the how the the chips fall. But the teal card is a huge priority mm-hmm. for us, and uh, tax the uh, fixing the tax system to make it fairer is a huge priority for us. So I think we'd be. Yeah. Um, driving for those things in particular. Very cool. And then kind of on that, a little bit of a tricky question. I'm not sure if you can answer this, but are are there any parties that you are unwilling to go into a coalition with or if you had to pick between one side, is there a way that you would fall? Or is it just kind of up in the air for you at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we... Our position is that we will not form a coalition at all. We'll sit on the crossbenches and support pieces of um, support or not pieces of legislation um, as they come. So we're looking more at a confidence and supply agreement. Um, And then it's really going to depend on what is going to be in the in the best interests of New Zealand (laughs) overall. Fair enough. Um, But yeah, yeah, we haven't. um, There are some parties outside of parliament that we would not not work with but there there are there are there are aspects of policy that we could work with anybody on cool yeah very good awesome so thank you so much for coming to talk to us today um here's a little space i think that um you might have some information about how you can contact top join young top those kinds of things yeah yeah so we'd love to hear from anybody who just i mean if you just have any questions um or if you're interested maybe in getting on board we may even still have some spots for potential candidates um and love having young people um young people involved so um we have uh 
Young Top, which you can find um, just searching for Vic Young Top on Facebook. Um, or if you get in touch with me, um, I'm very easy to find on social media. Um, and we have a meetup at the Southern Cross on the 3rd of May, 6pm. So if you, you can just turn up 3rd of May, 6pm at Southern Cross and meet a bunch of us um, candidates and the Young Top president. And um, it's, a, it's a really nice nice party to be part of it's, you know we, we we get along very well we want the same things um a nice. lot of um very passionate wonderful people who i adore wonderful that's really cool thank you so much for coming to chat to us today um thank you for listening to the podcast everybody i hope that you've learned something new learned a little bit about top um it's been it's been wonderful to get some really good insights here um and we'll see you next week thank Thanks, you very Holly. much